Chapter 5. Groundhogging Success When Chekhov saw the long winter, he saw a winter bleak and dark and bereft of hope. Yet, we know that winter is just another step in the cycle of life. But standing here among the people of Punxsutawney and basking in the warmth of their hearths and hearts, I couldn't imagine a better fate than a long and lustrous winter. Bill Murray in Groundhog Day I had a clear goal to reach financial security for my family by building my business online full-time, and I'd taken the first initial step by turning down a job as an attorney so I could focus on that goal. Now, the work of growing and scaling that business was in front of me. I went back to my alma mater, Brigham Young University, Idaho, and asked a well-respected professor for some advice on who I might find to help me with my website business. I hired a guy named Dustin, almost on the spot, because, frankly, I didn't know who else I'd get. Dustin helped me to manage the students in the online photography course so I could be sure their needs were being met. He was a diligent worker and someone I could generally rely on. I graduated from law school in the spring and invited Dustin to come on full-time when he finished school. It was a real company. The revenue continued its ascent month after month. I began looking for office space to run the company, because a real company needs a real office, I reasoned. Side note, that sounds like something Michael Scott would say. I wanted somewhere that could function as both a full-fledged photography studio with high ceilings and an office. This way we could do video tutorials in our studio space and computer work in our computer space. The building I rented was on historic Main Street in the little town of Caldwell, Idaho. The former bank building was over 100 years old. There are still four working vaults there with giant two-foot-thick metal doors, which really gave the place character. I love the old downtown location and the uniqueness of the building. I remember the meter reader guy coming over to turn on the power. It took him several hours to figure out which meter ran into the building because of the complicated nest of old wiring. As we continued building traffic on the website by writing articles and sharing things on Pinterest, the revenue continued to climb. Eventually, we started hitting $20,000 per month reliably, and sometimes far exceeding it. The expenses of the business were actually quite low with only one employee and an inexpensive old building, so we were beginning to bring in a handsome profit. A few weeks into this new venture and after graduating from law school, I decided it was time to create a podcast of my own. For some reason, I got it into my head that the bank vault would be the coolest possible spot to record a podcast from, so I went to the nearest hardware store and bought $200 worth of thick foam pads to quiet the echo from the metal walls. The show launched to great success with over 20,000 downloads in just the first week. Emily and I bought our first house around this time. It was a basic 1,984 square foot home because the builder knew it would annoy me that they hadn't added an extra 16 square feet. The home was in the most inexpensive area of Caldwell, Idaho, a suburb of Boise. With the housing market in shambles, we were able to scoop up the house for $84,000 and we paid cash. It was hard to believe. We were not only first time homeowners, but we owned our home outright. I nearly lost my mind when I sat down at a conference room table at the title company's office and wrote out a check for $84,000. I never thought I'd write a check that large in my entire life. Incidentally, that same home today is worth over $275,000.
Dave Ramsey is right about one thing. When you own a home outright, the carpet feels better, the grass feels thicker, and the whole thing is wonderful. We owned our own home without a mortgage, and it felt incredible, especially because of where we had come from. I began tracking my net worth on a simple Excel sheet around this time. In September 2013, I had $90,000 of student loan debt. That number felt impossible to overcome. After I typed in all the numbers in my Excel sheet, I had a pit in my stomach thinking about the magnitude of that amount. $90,000. It was more than the check I had just written, which was the biggest check I ever thought I would ever write. I would be paying for the degree that was collecting dust in a frame on my wall for the next decade. I was in financial prison. $90,000. After the initial shock wore off, I made a simple plan. We'd been broke before. In fact, we had been the other kind of broke before. We would simply reduce our expenses to that level, and I would write a blog post every single day on my website to increase traffic and help on the income side. My Excel sheet reported that at my current pace, this would be a years-long process. As it would turn out, I was able to pay off the entire amount just 174 days later. Yes, we saved a significant amount of money by living frugally, but also my simple practice of writing a blog post a day had been the perfect fuel for my business. It had quickly boomed to bring in more income. As the leaves began to fall off the trees, the romantic old bank building turned podcasting studio had over a dozen uninsulated, gigantic glass walls along its front. Speaking of insulation, there didn't seem to be any in the walls either. We kept the heat pumping 24-7 on full blast, but it only got colder in the building. I got called over during the middle of a date with Emily one night because the pipes had frozen upstairs and were leaking down into our portion of the building. Fortunately, nothing was ruined. The restaurant owner upstairs apologized and we became friendly acquaintances. I loved the small town feel of my little office. Yet, it continued getting colder. With the heat on full blast, we came into the office one morning and could see our breath. I got a thermometer which read 35 degrees inside the office. We literally wore coats and gloves all day until Dustin made an offhand remark about what OSHA would think of these working conditions. It was time to leave the romantic old bank building and the bank vault turned podcasting studio. We found another office space and after a few annoying days of moving furniture and equipment, we were all settled in in the new spot. This was an old building, but it didn't have any character. Orange carpet, drop ceiling, musty smell. I've always been a bit of a cheapskate. I got a call one day from the guy who rented the restaurant above our old office space. As soon as I realized who was on the phone, I was surprised by the shake in his voice. I could tell he was terrified to be calling me. I said, hey, Mike, what's up? You sound upset. He said, look, I'm a Christian and I've always tried to be an honest person, but the truth is going to cost me my business today. Have you noticed how expensive your utility bills were in your office over here? I said that I had noticed that it was because there was no insulation. That's why we moved out. He replied, well, there's another reason. The meter reader guy messed up our lines, and it turns out that you were paying for not only your space, but also my space for months. Restaurants have huge energy bills, especially with this old equipment we have. Anyway, I was able to figure out how much I owe you, and it's several thousand dollars. The problem is that the restaurant is just barely scraping by. 
After paying everybody, there's nothing left at the end of the month. So I'm calling to tell you that I can't pay you today, but I will sell whatever equipment I need to and pay you back as soon as possible. That is the kind of man we need in this world. I was surprised by his honesty and of course wanted to help him out, so I told him I would just consider it a sunk cost and not to worry about paying me. I realized for the first time that having money was a fantastic tool to do good. I could have wanted to help him out if I were poor, but most people simply aren't in a position where they can reasonably forgive thousands of dollars of debt just to be nice. I saw that having money allowed me to do things I simply couldn't do before. I'll always remember how cool it was to be able to help the restaurant owner in a time of need, and the only reason I got a chance was because I dreamed a goal to get out of debt and I took daily actions to get there. Following your dreams opens up all kinds of doors. It was still the early days of my business, and my simple daily efforts brought quick growth. Working on anything is fun during the rapid growth stage. After the work has been identified, the difficult starting period overcome, and the wheels are in motion, the work is exciting as you watch how far the initial steps propel you. If you dream of being skinny, losing the first five pounds takes incredible self-discipline and faith that your hard work will bring about the desired result. After the first five pounds, the excitement of the rapid progress builds and it becomes easier to continue. Learning a language is drudgery when you have to memorize the first 300 words and learn the conjugations. Then, once you can hold a basic conversation in the language, the remainder of the learning becomes fun as you see the progress of your efforts. The rapid progress stage of working toward any goal most often occurs when the learner understands the one thing they can do that brings about 90% of the results. For me, I found that the time writing new blog posts and creating podcasts was bringing in 90% of the success. More people came to the site, and thus I had more opportunities to make money. There were countless other things I could do, such as improving the design of the site, creating more digital products, keeping up on the accounting, optimizing my site's speed, and taking pictures myself to improve my skills. Yet, I was able to identify the single action that brought the vast majority of the success. If I published some piece of new content each day, the business continued to grow even if all other aspects of the business were imperfect. Someone losing weight may find that focusing on simply eating fewer calories is far more important than a more optimized exercise routine. Someone wanting to retire may find that getting rid of a car payment is far more important than canceling Netflix. Someone wanting to be a better parent can simply set aside 30 minutes each day to get down on the floor and play with their kids rather than taking a parenting class or reading parenting blog posts you found on Pinterest or simply more time at work to earn more money for a big family vacation. Design your day to produce 90% of the results. After building my first online business, in the ensuing decade I've built a dozen sites from the ground up to success. I was recently asked how I've built so many web businesses. Millions of people try to build blogs and YouTube channels without reaching success, but I've done it a dozen times or more. I had to think about it for a moment, but I realized that I always do the same thing. I identify the one thing that needs to be done in the business to drive 90% of the results. Then I design a day where I can accomplish that one high value activity and I simply repeat that day like it's Groundhog Day. Remember the movie Groundhog Day? In the 1993 movie with Bill Murray and Andy McDowell, the main character was stuck in a loop. 
He would live out one day, which happened to be Groundhog Day, and the next day he'd wake up the morning of Groundhog Day again. Here's an example of how groundhogging a goal can work. When I was in college and I realized I wanted to go to law school, I knew it would be expensive, and the best way for me to avoid that expense would be to get a scholarship. I also knew that I had a below average 2.8 GPA, and I frankly wasn't the best guy out there when it came to taking standardized tests. Worse yet, most law school hopefuls were paying thousands of dollars for a complete course on how to do well on the law school admissions test, the LSAT. I didn't have that kind of money. Yet, I managed to get an almost full tuition scholarship to law school, which saved me a massive amount of money. Here's how I did it. First, I knew that I thrived on achieving difficult tasks where I could measure my progress. Look, Ma, I got a good grade on the test. That's my work energy. 18 months before I took the LSAT, I bought every single previous test of the LSAT that had ever been given. After a test is used, they publish the previous version so new students can use it as a pretest. I also spent about $50 on used versions of some of the old test prep books on eBay. Then, I designed a day that would eventually make me a master at the LSAT. It was simple. Each morning, I'd wake up and spend 15 minutes researching law schools to determine where I wanted to go and what it would take to get there. I needed to increase my GPA, so I simply made one change to my schedule. I spread out my classes so I'd have an hour after each class to study what had been taught or to do my homework. As soon as I got home from school, but before I could be done for the day, I'd sit down for 30 minutes to study LSAT tips from the old books from eBay. Then every Wednesday, I'd take a full test, which lasted about three and a half hours. I planned for that time by not taking any classes on Wednesday afternoons. I created a graph on a piece of paper where I'd track my test score each Wednesday so I could compete with myself to maximize my work energy. The day I groundhogged was designed to focus on only the most essential things I could do to move toward the goal. Rather than optimizing my note-taking in class, for example, I simply set up my day to ensure I did my homework. Ask any straight-A student and they'll tell you that the most important thing you can do to be a better student is never get a zero on an assignment to drag down your grade. I started the very next day and then I groundhogged it, living the same schedule each day until the LSAT. I wasn't a genius and in fact, I had proven to be a below average student, but I groundhogged the actions that gave me 90% of the result and I ignored every other optimization. The night before the test, I had to drive to a city a few hours away. I went to sleep early so I'd feel my best for the test, but it did little good. I was so nervous that I woke up at 3 a.m. and stared at the ceiling for a while before getting up to look over my books and read through all the questions I had missed on practice tests over the last year. I arrived at the testing center early and heard all of the other students greeting each other who had been in test prep classes together. I had focused on the most high-value activities, but I wondered if it would be enough compared to all of the other students. The test was strictly timed, and I felt I was falling behind. I could figure out all of the problems easily if I had enough time, but the LSAT forces test takers to understand logic quickly. After the test was over, I wasn't sure how I'd performed, but it was done. All I could do was wait. I wasn't sure what to do with myself in the weeks after the test. I had established such a strict schedule to Groundhog for the previous year that it was hard not to be studying anymore. 
Finally, my test score arrived. I opened up the letter and timidly looked at my score. I was in the 85th percentile of all test takers and it would likely be good enough to get a scholarship. Because of the 15 minutes I'd spent each morning researching law schools, I knew precisely what schools I'd apply to and it wasn't long before acceptance letters started arriving and a few denials. The results came because I identified a way that I could prepare for the test that matched my work energy. I like to take on big challenges and have a measurable way to track my results so I can feel the world's approval of my efforts. My plan to take the test each week and draw the results on a graph to chart my improvement was motivating for me. It fed my work energy, and it focused only on the 90% actions while ignoring all minor optimizations. That's the work energy formula, and it works every time. Action Step 5 Design a day focused on 90% activities and groundhog it until success. In a previous action step, you've identified your work energy and the type of work you want to apply it to. Then you decided the first step you could take to begin saving your first brick toward the goal. Now it's time to design a day that, if you groundhogged enough times, would enable you to achieve your goal. Suppose you want to become the top salesperson in your company. You attend a lot of meetings and do a lot of tasks each day, but you know the most high-value activity is simply calling contacts on your customer list. It's also the thing that you put off the most because it's awkward and intimidating. Put your work energy in the fight. You're a survivor? Walk into your boss's office and tell her if you don't achieve your goal this quarter, you don't deserve a promotion this year. But if you do, you'd like to talk with her about a raise and a more flexible work schedule. Your work energy is helpfulness, Change your calls to focus on your customers' problems and how you can solve issues for them. Use your work energy. Before you do anything else, buy a brick. Prove to yourself you're not a lazy lump of lard by picking up the phone immediately, pushing all excuses out of your mind, and simply talking to one contact. Next, it's time to design a day that will achieve your goal. In addition to your normal work, listen to a sales podcast each morning to get you fired up and thinking about how you can sell. Instead of wasting an hour at lunch dreading when you have to go back to your desk, bring a brown bag lunch each day, lock your office door, and block off your calendar to stop all distractions. You simply call person after person for an hour straight in between bites of your apple. Then at the end of your day at 4.30pm, right before you go home, send a text to one person on your list and make one last call. Every day, simply groundhog that day until you succeed. You've learned the secret. You already know more about achieving goals than most people will ever recognize in their lives. Most people will get lost in the minutia of activities that are not essential to success. Most people spend their whole lives seeing opportunities but failing to go after them because they freeze up with intimidation when they aren't sure how to begin. They will never learn about designing the day and groundhogging that day until success. The work energy formula will give you the upper hand on every goal you'll ever face. You only need to choose to move forward. I want to go off script a minute because I, I just need to make sure you understand how critical this work energy formula is if you ever want to achieve your goals. Fear is the thing that stops us from everything good in our lives. Fear is the thing that kills our goals and our dreams. It stops us from 
buying bricks and taking those first initial actions. And the work energy formula is all about taking who you are, your unique work energy, and what your body, what your mind has developed to get things done, and putting that in the fight to combat fear. Groundhogging something into success kind of sounds obvious if you think about it. Like, okay, yeah, you find something that, that will get you to success and then you just do that thing a lot of times, right? But it's not obvious at all. How many times have you wanted to hit the sales goal? Have you wanted to lose weight? Have you wanted to help your kids? Have you wanted to establish a better relationship with God? And you dream of those things and it never happens. You just never get there. And you feel like you're never making progress the work energy is designed to help you fix that. It fixes it by putting your work energy into the fight and also by removing everything else that's unnecessary that could easily distract you from accomplishing your goal. Try it and you're about to accomplish things you never thought you could.